and uh, so it's really a pleasure to be here for the first time in the UK for a, for a symposium. Um, I also wanted to thank uh, uh, Pablo for his uh, wonderful uh, talk earlier on pluralism because I, as you will see in my talk, I feel that this is an important subject and I think it's going to come up uh, over and over again and certainly it's the, uh, the prime focus of what I'm going to be talking about today. So the talk is called Ibn Arabi, Human Potential and the Postmodern Self. After, I, after I'd written it, I actually thought, well, it's not quite accurate. What I should have called it is Ibn Arabi, Human Potential and Beyond the Postmodern Self. But I think that will come out as we, uh, as we work our way through this paper. When I was informed of the title for this symposium, what came to my mind was the emergence of the human potential movement over the last 40 years or so, with its particular emphasis on the meaning and nature of human existence and consciousness. This movement coincided with a profound cultural shift in the West, as notions of personal fulfillment, freedom, and self-realization became embedded in the consciousness of the era. Ideas of self-actualization have been increasingly prevalent in Western culture and this pursuit of self-expression and happiness continues to transform the current paradigm where the dominant questions being asked are so often those pertaining to values, meaning, personal responsibility, spirituality and suffering. What I believe these questions expose is an emergent way of thinking and a dynamic new energy that challenges conventional truths and gives way to a fresh reformulation of the human condition. The rise of this movement came as a response and perhaps even an antidote to the earlier rejection of traditional forms by spiritu of spirituality by modernity, which had not treated the discoveries of the great explorers of the inner spiritual landscape particularly well. Typically, those discoveries were critiqued in the light of the modernist view, which insisted on empirical evidence to support their claims. Or else, they were critiqued in the light of the postmodern view, which debunked both modernism and tradition, and which saw all truths as relative and meaningful only within a specific cultural or historical context. These critiques in general have resulted in the loss of a unifying narrative for our world, reducing experience and knowledge to the realm of subjectivity and disconnected from the universals and principles that had previously guided so much of humankind. In this paper, I want to address some contemporary views that take a different look on our modern world, that in fact, the modern and postmodern paradigms are an integral part of the evolutionary topography of our collective humanity and can also be understood as an evolution of the construct of the human self. And as we cross the threshold of the new era, we are beginning to see the emerging potential of a radically new self of the era. Transpersonal psychology is an, is an emerging discipline of our time addressing, as it does, the reintegration of spirit with the discoveries of modern psychology and science. And it offers a framework 
for reconceptualizing the self that many believe has suffered from much fragmentation at the hands of modernity and postmodernity. My aim today is to review some of the ideas that have been born from this marriage of psychology and spirituality and to review them in the context of Ibn Arabi's understanding of the self explained in his teaching of oneness, Tawheed. The good news, in my opinion, is that the restoration of a meta-narrative or a totalizing perspective that can reunify and accommodate a multiplicity of views so lacking in contemporary academic and even many spiritual circles has in fact been underway in recent times. And some of these efforts will find strong resonances with the work of Ibn Arabi. Ibn Arabi's teachings of oneness include an articulation of the appearance of God's self as both one and plural and furthermore as a self that manifests both historically and transhistorically and is thus eminently qualified to provide commentary for the current era. In exploring some of these ideas, I believe Ibn Arabi can help shed light on some of the problems of pluralism in the postmodern world and in fact help rescue modern thought from the dilemmas and traps of the postmodern paradigm, having almost anticipated the current crisis. This discussion will take us to Ibn Arabi's explanation on the creation and constitution of the self in Adam and to the notion of the ultimate integration of all views and beliefs in the awakened person who is brought to the level of perfection known as the station of no station. The problem of postmodernity in a nutshell lies in the fragmentation of meaning in our culture, the loss of a narrative that connects us to each other, to the world and to our common source. It rejects both modernity and traditional spirituality and yet it affirms the profound diversity found in the world. The differences that distinguish us from one another as in our languages, cultures and societies are validated and respected as unique differentiators but this comes at a cost. As one cultural anthropologist explains, the self and indeed the structure of consciousness, language and thought itself is a product of a socially constructed identity. The context is everything and no one is free from the formative effects of their environment, family, society or nation. Because of the immense variety of constructs and experiences found across cultures and the absence of a universal way of translating them, relativism emerges in order to respect pluralism and to give permission to diversity. Monotheism gives way to polytheism and the narrative must be told from within the worldview of the culture in question according to its own values and truths and not from an external authority." End quote. So this is one of the legacies of postmodernism as told from the perspective of cultural relativism, a fragmentation of reality and a loss of meaning. Psychologists and philosophers who study the larger context of the self lament that this is the cause for much of the alienation and dislocation found in the modern world. Instead, they argue that what is needed is a truly integral and holistic approach for post-postmodern times 
a view that is capable of including all the dimensions of human experience. While transpersonal psychology itself is not free from some of the conditioning of its own cultural context, born as it is on the cusp of modernity and postmodernity, it nevertheless has emerged as a discipline that strives to address the concerns of the past and the present and to stay open to the potential of a future whose contours are beginning to emerge. Previous psychological models had mostly ignored the spiritual or transcendent aspects of the self and of human development. Transpersonal psychology, on the other hand, has embraced the teachings and practices of the great wisdom traditions and attempts to integrate these teachings with Western psychology and to translate spiritual principles into a scientific and grounded framework. It claims to be a fully integrated and holistic methodology incorporating the study of states of consciousness, higher or ultimate potential, beyond the ego or personal self, transcendence and the spiritual. A short definition explains that it is, quote, concerned with the study of humanity's highest potential and with the recognition, understanding and realization of unitive, spiritual and transcendent states of consciousness, end quote. Schools such as Esalen, founded by Michael Murphy in 1962, and the Naropa Institute, founded by Chogyang Trumpa in 1974, and the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, founded by two Sufis in 1975, who were students of the Helveti uh, Muzaffer Ozak, are examples of contemporary expressions of a new way of thinking, where East meets West, and where personal exploration into a wide range of philosophies religious disciplines and psychological techniques is encouraged and widely studied. Inherent in its methodology is the assumption of the fundamental, fundamental goodness and wholeness of the human being and the innate potential for the self to heal itself and to progress towards increasing levels of self-integration. As a holistic healing model, psychotherapy now often includes practices and ideas found in Buddhism or Vedanta which are readily combined with Western psychological methods in a breathtaking variety of ways. In what follows, I will need to take a somewhat narrower slice of the field and focus mainly on some ideas of the evolutionary models of consciousness, since these are the ones that have exerted a lot of influence in the thinking about the potential of the human self and as to what comes next after postmodernism which is the area I want to explore. And furthermore, it is an idea where I think convergences with Ibn Arabi's thought can be suggested. The evolution of human consciousness has been described as a progression of levels of psychological and cultural existence. According to this understanding, human evolution adapts to crises, and these adaptations result in increasingly complex patterns and value systems. Some have described eight levels, some have described five, and others have conceptualized human progress through these levels as linear or spiral. But most agree on a general evolutionary structure that can be mapped to both the evolution of a human being from infancy to maturation and to the evolution of humanity from its emergence in its most primitive form to our present day levels of sophistication. As in child development, 
Each new stage transcends and includes what came before, resulting in increasingly complex and integrated thinking systems. Equally, each stage represents a worldview that transcends and includes the previous one. Many researchers and thinkers have proposed models of human development as an evolution of consciousness. These models attempt to explain how evolutionary stages of consciousness can, em can embody a particular perspective or worldview, and how an era can become an expression of a dominant stage which conditions and qualifies the way humans perceive the world, and which in turn has effects uh, on the way the self is constructed. According to one model developed by Claire Graves and Don Beck, the first level is denoted by the color beige and started 100,000 years ago and was focused on survival and the protection of clans. The next level, indicated by the color purple, started at the end of the last ice age and gave rise to a level of human and societal organization characterized by animism and tribalism. And so on until the color green, which is our postmodern level and which is focused on diversity and inclusivity, but at the expense of the non-integration of what has come before. Continuing onward after our current level are further levels of higher functioning that are proposed to be radically new ways of being, signaling a fundamental and massively transformative shift. Taking yet another developmental model as the primary example for this paper, Jean Gebser traces human evolution starting with the level of, of the archaic, which moves through the succeeding levels of ma magic, mythic, <coughs> rational, pluralistic, and ending in the integral level. The magic is seen as an egocentric level of development, where identity is of self, and everything seen as meaningful only to oneself. The mythic level is the, tra is the traditional worldview or ethnocentric, where identity is with the tribe. Rational is the modern level and world-centric, where identity is with humanity at large. Pluralistic is postmodern and represents a fuller world-centric identity associated with the cultural creatives, multiple realities, no major universals governing anything, and cultural inclusivity. Integral, the final level, is cosmocentric, where identity is with nature, the manifest world, and oneness. With each degree of evolution, the perspective advances to include and transcend the degree before it, becoming increasingly expansive and capable of comprehending a wider and deeper perspective. These same stages are mapped to childhood and adult development, and so the stages described are thus both interior as individual structures and worldviews that are mapped to cultures. <coughs> Ken Wilber, one of the most influential psychologists and philosophers in the field of integral spirituality today, embraces the idea of consciousness as evolutionary. The postmodern stage, he says, is relatively recent and has dominated the academic and cultural institutions over the last 30 years. Just emerging 
in our current time, he claims, is the integral level. The difference between it and previous levels is that the previous levels believed that their truth was the only one, whereas an integral view sees that they all express truths. A person's vertical movement through these structures brings about genuine change and transformation of worldview. Moving into the integral, he says, is a huge transformation, not motivated by lack or scarcity, as in some need-based motivational theories, but by a fullness of being, abundance and overflowing. The current pluralistic value structure is still bound by its particular view, however, and generally maintains an anti-modernity and anti-traditional stance, but nevertheless sits at the threshold of an integral view by trying to be genuinely inclusive. However, it is only in the integral where there is the expansiveness that can accommodate all views and able to see that some truths are more true than others. An idea that has profound resonance with Ibn Arabi's description of the kind of non-delimited witnessing that he describes of the awakened person who inhabits the station of no station and which we will have opportunity to look at in more detail shortly. Wilbur's critique and commentary of postmodernism has been very influential in the field of transpersonal psychology and integral studies. And his approach to integral spirituality represents one of the more ambitious projects of modern times by attempting to be as all-inclusive as possible. His integral approach is actually quite complex, but in a nutshell, attempts to, to, to unify the inner and outer dimensions of both the individual and the collective realms, resulting in four domains of reality upon which he overlays the stages of evolution described earlier. Any model that excludes a domain is incomplete, he argues. As an example, he cites the success of modernism against religion lay in, its inability, uh, lay in the inability of the pre-modern religions whose expertise is the individual interior domains of states and stages to respond to the modern epistemologies which focused on the exterior domains and demanded evidence for their existence. In other words, there was not a sufficiently broad framework for many traditional teachings to, to address advances in science and the humanities and to be able to incorporate them. Spiritual traditions specialize in the inner domain of the individual and possess deep knowledge of inner states and degrees of consciousness. But he says that their failure to respond to the critique of modernity which specializes in the outer domains of human biology, system theory, and science, for example, robbed them of their authority and relegated them to the domain of suspicious belief systems characterized by resistance to developments in science, culture, and values. He affirms that religions are still the most important collective repository of human knowledge and are humanity's best bet for our future. And while scientific knowledge is tightly integrated into his theory, he decries the replacement of religion with what he calls the new religion of scientism as a wholly inadequate substitution as an epistemology for our times. It should be mentioned that there are challenges to transpersonal psychology's approach uh, to consciousness. Some have questioned the deterministic assumptions of development found in these models and on their reliance on predictability. 
as the structures of the self are explored and frameworks for understanding them are constructed, there is a danger in seeing enlightenment or, integ or integration as an end product of a process, a predictable process of development. That somehow the transpersonal self emerges after a period of evolutionary self-development. There is also risk in seeing the self as a, as, a, as a collection of states of consciousness. That somehow the self becomes larger and larger until the transpersonal self emerges. Models such as these can easily take on dualistic or deterministic overtones. Others have suggested that these models are too linear and, in, and inadequate to explain the qualitative changes that take place during transformation and have provided commentary from other disciplines. The author Les Todris notes that identity has always had a transpersonal dimension where the self is continuous with and disappears into a ground or order of life. A worldview, he says, that seeks predictability allows little place for grace, but needs to accommodate an openness that does not privilege being or becoming, and which allows for an ambiguity that is the stuff of life. The author Olga Luchakova points out that the difference in logic between traditions that posit human development as a decrease or abandonment of ego rather than an increase in levels of self-identification. The living self is transformed rather than increased. I mentioned briefly these ongoing debates within the field, which is a discourse that is very much alive. The development of a holistic view is key to understanding what we mean by human potential and the potential for the era. What these evolutionary models are suggesting, and why I refer to them, is that the self and the era are not two, but are co-emergent and co-creative. If the era and the self are co-emergent, we would then expect that individuation at the level of the personal self would mirror the emergence of the era. The psychologists Stan and Christina Groff refer to spiritual emergence as a developmental condition and as the evolution of spiritual potential. What they and some other researchers are finding is that the growing, in quote, the growing interest in spirituality and the increasing incidence of spontaneous mystical experiences represents an evolutionary trend towards an entirely new level of human consciousness. As an example of how this work has had effect in the medical field, it is now accepted that spontaneous spiritual emergence can sometimes take the form of a spiritual emergency, which was repeatedly misdiagnosed and pathologized by psychology and medicine until 1998, when it was legitimized as a healthy condition of the mind by being included in the American Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders as a non-pathological category of religious or spiritual problem. <laughs> Ken Wilber says his research shows that 4 or 5% of the world's population are now at the integral level. These are people who are interested in a worldview that includes everything and therefore there is an increasing emergence of this integral level of understanding. 
he sees it as the first time in history that self-consciously includes all previous stages. Wilbur believes this will have a startling effect on everything and a move towards integral theories in every field of knowledge. And uh, he uses the example of medicine where he says, for example, integrated medicine includes traditional and modern forms. And I think we see this uh, throughout many of the uh, other sciences today. The integral worldview includes body, mind and spirit, which is unlike any previous structure and will transform the world as we know it. As the integral view evolves, Wilbur notes that it seems to be appearing at exactly the right time that it is needed. As the notions of spiritual awakening, non-duality and enlightenment enter mainstream awareness, spiritual emergence seems to be no longer the sole domain of mystics. Olga Luchakova's work reports that people are experiencing changes in their lives as a result of spontaneous spiritual awakening with increasing frequency, a kind of fast track for contemporary Westerners. <coughs> this self-creative activity of consciousness has been labeled ontopoesis by the philosopher and phenomenologist Ana Teresa Tumanieska. It has been called the mechanism of consciousness underlying human development and kicks in, so to speak, after an adult person experiences a non-dual insight, restoring wholeness and initiating a restructuring of the self. In the cultural perspective, <coughs> the self and culture co-constitute one another. Thus the self in the postmodern view is seen largely as fragmentary, with a sense of emptiness and loss of identity and center. However, Temenieska does not focus on the fragmentation of the self. For her, the central category is life, not cognition, where one's beingness is a particularization of life's unfolding dynamics as the ontopoesis of life unravels the absolute of the logos and where beings manifest themselves as modalities of the logos of life. The new self that is emerging in the new era, which she calls the ontopoetic self, is returned to its ontological, ontological foundations as a spontaneous expression of logos, restoring the inherent unity of knowing and beingness. Meaning is not artificially created, but instead discovered through the intuitive discernment of the logos. She has proclaimed a new enlightenment of life emerging in the post-postmodern era in contrast to the ontological gloom and cynicism of postmodernism. From this brief overview of some contemporary themes relevant to this topic, the postmodern view is seen as one in which diversity is acknowledged and tolerated, yet it has struggled to integrate diversity in a holistic way. The cultural relativism that has dominated our institutions and culture has suffered from a discontinuous narrative. On the positive side, by some accounts, we appear to be on the threshold of a new phase that will succeed postmodernism. What will the post-postmodern era look like? From what, it, from what has been reported so far, it has been suggested that the key lies in finding a perspective that honors diversity, yet integrates this relativity into a non-dual and integrated vision of oneness. 
I mentioned earlier that in many respects Ibn Arabi has anticipated this crisis of modern thought, having addressed the issue of pluralism in a very detailed and thorough way in his many works. In the Fusus al-Hikam, the opening line is a classic statement of the problem in which he describes the creation of Adam as the only being to be created in the image of God and capable of manifesting God's own self-disclosure. But what is striking is that Adam emerges consequent to the divine intention of God's desire to know not only his own self, but also the infinity of his selves, and thus for the plurality of God's most beautiful names to be revealed. Plurality, therefore, appears co-emergent with the appearance of the singular form of Adam, and we are told that there are two possible ways to view the creative act. Simultaneously, as a singular event of self-disclosure and as an event that contains the implicit relativity of multiple self-disclosures. Ibn Arabi says, the reality wanted to see the essences of his most beautiful names, or to put it another way, to see his own essence in an all-inclusive object encompassing the whole command, which qualified by existence would reveal to him his own mystery. This is the opening line of the Fasus. Adam, as the prototype of the human form, is the one form or object capable of summarizing the creative act in both its aspects of plurality and oneness. The perfected heart of this human form, we are told, is the only place where it is possible to unite the forms of things with their meanings. The constitution of this prototypical human structure gives us a glimpse of what Ibn Arabi means by human potential which is a vastly expanded idea of what is possible for human knowledge and evolution. It is this Adamic principle inherent in the human form that holds one of the keys to understanding the magnitude of what Ibn Arabi has to offer Western thought. One would be hard-pressed to find another thinker or mystic that has held the anthropos, this human form known as man and woman, in such high esteem or expressed in such elevated terms the place of the human in the order of things. As, Aben, as Ibn Arabi says, no one knows the dignity of man and his place in the universe except those who know how to contemplate God perfectly. Taking Adam as the prototype of the human structure, it is explained further for us that as God witnesses his self or selves in the heart of Adam, in the same action, Adam sees his own self in the mirror of the divine essence. And in the same way, this is true for all of us. As Ibn Arabi explains in the Hadith Qudsi, I conform myself to the opinion that my servant has of me. The creation of the personal God is due to the action of the individual who creates his or her personal reality based on their presupposition, conjecture or belief. The real out of its mercy, conforms itself to that belief. From the side of the individual, we are indeed co-creators of the reality, but not in the fragmented sense of which cultural relativism speaks. Ibn Arabi's understanding is far more comprehensive than this, in that the ultimate understanding of the creation of beliefs lies in the fact that it is ultimately God who creates his own being through the agency of the human and their responsiveness to life's manifesting in all its diversity. In reality, nothing exists or acts other than the one real being.
This is what is known as the God created in the beliefs and why this formulation of Ibn Arabi's offers a way to understanding the pluralism that characterizes our time. The cultural relativism of postmodernism that emphasizes linguistic, societal or environmental influences on the concept of the self and indeed the very content of consciousness, while not invalid, can be reconceptualized in the light of Ibn Arabi's understanding of how the self is made. The self is ultimately a projection of our beliefs, whether they are informed through culture and language or whether they are informed through God's own action of creating his own being through the beliefs, since all acts must return to God. At no time is the self alienated from its source, existentially removed from its real place in the cosmos, or left adrift in a meaningless void, as some would have it. Furthermore, no matter how we might limit ourselves by our, by our beliefs, the potential for integral vision is, always remains a possibility of our anthropic form, which by unveiling from the real can transform the individual completely. Pluralism can therefore be welcomed as the self-disclosure of the infinite divine modalities, rather than as a problem of relativistic diverse realities that have no relation to each other or to a unifying source, and which are therefore doomed to pure subjectivity and meaninglessness. If the problem of diverse opinions is indeed a problem, then it is a problem created by God himself out of his mercy and wisdom. As Ibn Arabi says, quote, God himself is the first problem of diversity that has become manifest in the cosmos. The first thing that each existent thing looks upon is the cause of its own existence. In itself, each thing knows that it was not and that it then came to be through temporal origination. However, in this coming to be, the dispositions of the existent things are diverse. Hence, they have diverse opinions about the identity of the cause that brought them into existence. Therefore, the real is the first problem of diversity in the cosmos." End quote. While each limited belief <coughs> is true in a certain respect in that it can only be a belief about the real, there is in the human constitution the unlimited potential to gather all beliefs together and to know that they all point to God. Each person in their original nature possesses these two aspects of self, the self that manifests a unique and particular face of God through individuation and the self that is the single identity of all creation, as was earlier pointed out in the creation of Adam. By virtue of the gift of the unlimited predisposition, each one has the potential to integrate all beliefs, all points of view, and become free of the constraints of subjective and partial beliefs. I mentioned earlier Ken Wilber's thoughts on what constitutes an integral view. True non-dual realization, he says, always includes two components, the absolute and the relative. In order to embrace non-conceptual nirvana and conceptual samsara, a correct view, capital V, is essential. Buddhism is often thought to be about cultivating no views, he points out, but this should not imply that the development of a correct view is unnecessary. Practice is necessary, certainly, but so is the development of a correct view. 
In fact, he says, it is, a fun it is fundamental for a cognitive restructuring of the psyche to take place, since developing a view allows an individual the capacity to take on many perspectives. Wilbur says, quote, cognitive development is the increase in the number of others with whom you can identify and an increase in the number of perspectives you can take, end quote. He is also quite clear that some views are more correct than others, since they are more holistic or integral than others. So it seems the pinnacle of human development is the ability to inhabit every view and to be granted the gift of discernment to know that the place of each view, to know the place of each view and that some views are more integral than others. Ibn Arabi describes such a mode of being known as the station of no station, which is the actualization of the most complete kind of realization granted to the Mohammedan friends of God. Every form, every belief, is seen for what it is in its reality and it is ascribed to its place. This person is fluid with the ongoing and eternal self-disclosure, recognizing the real in every form and at every moment. Ibn Arabi says, quote, the person of unveiling has been given an all-inclusive overview of all religions, creeds, sects, and doctrines concerning God. They are not ignorant of any of these. Adherents follow creeds, sects, conform to specific laws, and doctrines are held concerning God or something in the engendered universe. Some of these contradict, some diverge, and some are similar. In every case, the possessor of unveiling knows from where the doctrine, the creed, or the sect is taken, and he ascribes it to its place. He offers an excuse for everyone who holds a doctrine and does not declare him in error. He does not consider the doctrine to be in vain, for God did not create the heaven and the earth and what is between them for unreality. And he did not create the human being in vain. On the contrary, he created him alone to be in his form. According to the Hadith Qudsi, do not revile the era because the era, it is God. We are reminded that this era of ours is no other than the appearance of the one real identity that is created in the instance. The ongoing creation of the instance is what we might call history and the transformation of forms over time from less complex to more complex structures is what we might call evolution. The developmental theories of the evolution of consciousness referred to earlier are, appear to be moving the narrative of our collective human potential in some very interesting directions and appear to be drawing similar conclusions about the potential for an integral and unified future. What will the new era look like if more and more people are indeed transformed and increasingly move into an integral way of self-knowing? As Ibn Arabi says in this quote that sounds entirely contemporary and which again anticipates and, and heralds an era which must inevitably appear, quote, the time today isn't like times in the past because it's closer to the realm of the next world so that its people experience more spiritual unveiling. The people of this time today are quicker to experience unveiling, more likely to witness spiritual things, more spiritually aware 
and more complete in their realization, but also deficient in their right actions than in earlier times because they are farther from the companions in their witnessing the prophet. For right actions were more predominant in the past, while spiritual knowing is more predominant in this time of ours. And that expansion of spiritual awareness will continue on increasing until the descent of Jesus, peace be upon him, at the end of time. End quote. This is not to su suggest a direct correlation or prediction to this particular historical moment, but the manner of spiritual knowing that Ibn Arabi speaks of is all the more intriguing given the observations of increasing spontaneous spiritual emergence reported by researchers in transpersonal studies. Ibn Arabi suggests that the expansion of spiritual awareness will continue increasing. And in the quote, he ties the increase directly to this time of ours, which points, I think, to the co-emergence of self-knowledge with the, with the era. The images and currents of the era are thus inseparable from our individual emergence. As for our era and how better to understand it, in Ibn Arabi's Fusus al-Hikam, we, we can also take the idea of progress through evolution, from the configuring of the self in Adam to its ultimate perfection and, in, and integration in the self of Muhammad. Already in Adam, we have the notion of a complete configuration of the human form prior to its extension in history and time. Muhammad said, before Adam, I was indicating the completely integral logoic nature of the principle of the anthropic form, with its consequent chaptering of the successive wisdoms appearing over time in the form of prophets, building on the initial wisdom of Adam, like building a wall with bricks, until the wall is completed with its sophistication, structure and detail. What this points to is an evolutionary progression of what is already known in principle in the interior, that extends towards the exterior in order to become more obvious, more readily known, more detailed, and more globally available. With the spirit emerging in such a way, it is as if spirit is becoming more tangibly material and matter becoming more transparently imbued with spirit. Ibn Arabi shows a path to rethinking how we define the new era. He has always been post-postmodern and always been integral. If an integral way of seeing is now only becoming obvious in the current era, it doesn't mean that it didn't exist before. His teachings of oneness offer a unifying perspective that is simultaneously forever timeless and of the era, and it opens up fresh vistas for understanding the manifestation of the one as it unfolds and evolves in our era and beyond. Ibn Arabi holds up a mirror for us to review our collective and individual selves in perhaps one of the grandest and most beautiful visions ever presented to humankind. As humanity evolves from its postmodern context to whatever comes next, the potential for a new emergence is present and is being f formed by the ongoing dialogues in the humanities, sciences and spirituality. And I hope that this presentation of some of the convergences between integral studies and Ibn Arabi can make some small contribution. Thank you.